0: All it takes is a click to listen to RTI Online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at English.rti.org.tw.
1: This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, we'll be taking you over to Lights Camera Asia and in the spotlight. But first, join us for Here in Taiwan. and welcome to here in taiwan today is thursday december 19th i'm john van triest and joining me here in the studio today we've got shirley Lin, hello and jake chen hello up next we'll be hearing what's got parents confused about a new high school curriculum then a list of traffic no-nos from japan has drawn discussion here in taiwan about how we drive and an indigenous taiwanese language becomes what looks like the first to get a wikipedia all that coming up next please stick around Well, the high school curriculum gets modified slightly from year to year, uh, this year's changes don't seem to have parents very happy, though.
2: Right. Um, there are a number of aspects that see relatively significant changes. Uh, some of the more notable ones that got a lot of uh, parents talking, uh, as well as students, Include the a more emphasis on what they call qualitative education so uh, I guess it's, it's a shift away from the, the academia-centered education uh, As a puzzling term <laughs> Right uh, It has got a lot of parents puzzled as well we'll get into that in a minute as well as uh, new policies and strategies uh, plans for uh, education in the rural area where they often suffer from a lot less resources mm-hmm. uh, as well as the uh, plans to implement uh, gender equality education this is a uh, follow-up to uh, uh, early this year when the government uh, introduced a special law to equalize sorry to legalize same-sex marriage mm-hmm. up uh, here in Taiwan so yeah, these uh, sound like rather big terms, and the uh, uh, the policies got a lot of uh, parents uh, somewhat confused, and and, uh, and many are uh, rather pessimistic about it. In the latest survey uh, released by the National Parents' uh, Union— uh, They have a union? Uh, wow. Right. Shirley, are you aware of this? You're I'm, sorry, a member? No, yeah. I'm sorry, it's an association. Yep, nope. oh, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Can they go on strike? <laughs> Nation, yeah, National <laughs> Parents' Association. Um, they said uh, close to—actually, a bit more than 70% of the parents are a bit confused about what's actually involved in qualitative oriented education I don't know what that means either (laughs) yeah it's like they call uh, like quantitative education which is you know how you measure kids based on their academia performance test scores grades. yeah so um Different schools have sort of different plans and and interpretation of how a quote unquote qualitative education should should you know uh, con- be conducted you know uh, more emphasis on sports um, after school sorry after class curriculums activities et cetera et cetera and uh, parents themselves are confused they 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 don't know how this will be implemented and uh, more importantly the in the future this could affect the standards uh, upon which the students are judged when they enter different high schools so it's kind of like when you try to get into one of the better universities in the States and in Canada as well. You're judged on your scores in high school as well as what you do outside, right? All the volunteering right. works.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah stuff what like,
2: clubs you belong to. They ask yeah, all kinds of questions about uh, that School teams that. And, and all that. So I, I guess, you know, there is going to be, or at least there there plans to be a shift towards that direction. And the parents… Yeah, and Taiwan is definitely not like that. <laughs> Whatever I think you do in your own time is your business, but… Right. I think you're purely judged based on your score on the uh, mm-hmm. college entrance exam. And I
3: think that's slightly changing, I think. Uh, especially uh, you know on the parents mindset about this kind of thing that it's okay to do sports it's actually good for you to help you with your academics oh yes that's how it was with my kids because they were on school swim team they learned discipline
2: there you go. Character there you building. Go. Right. And and the future kids are going to be probably judged on that. Um, so parents are – part of their concerns is that there's not yet a plan for sort of a uniform uh, standard upon which the kids will be judged. Hmm. So, uh, well, Is there any word about whether this will affect what's actually
1: taught in the classroom? Like, for instance, will the math curriculum become – Qual- qualitative? qualitative? <laughs> I don't, um, they don't is have... There, uh, are we going to have as qualitative science classes? What does that mean?
2: Yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, I don't think sort of the major, the major sort of what subjects. they call it, the, the key subjects, you know, math, Chinese language, English, will, will see any changes because they're just too important as far as the college entrance exams is concerned. Um, I think the schools, as far as I can understand, try are trying to implement other programs outside of the class. So, uh, you know, whether it's outside of the regular class time, where the main classes will be, we'll see less time, but, you know, it's not yet decided. So, yeah, you can see it's a whole bowl of confusion for everybody. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit confusing. So, well, I guess these sorts of reforms
1: always are confusing at first. Hopefully, if it's M-A-C? well implemented, people will get over it pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> our second story for the day begins not in taiwan but in japan but it's got people talking here because uh the discussion was about how people drive and it led some people to reflect on how we here in taiwan are driving right
3: the japanese media they came up with a list of like seven no-nos uh on driving just seven yeah (laughs) a lot lot of no-nos you know actually japanese people know they really abide by the law i mean in general it's not always written either right is that uh,
2: you guys experienced when you were in japan
3: It's been a while, um, so I I don't know.
1: They're normal.
3: Yeah, they're they're law-abiding people. I don't think the
1: driving was anything special, right? I didn't think so either. Else, really? Yeah,
3: I know. I don't think so either. But the thing is that uh, they have statistics showing that they still, uh, with these rules and everything, um, they have about close to five hundred thirty thousand accidents every year in Japan. In Japan, Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, so they came with a list of seven. First one is. Uh, driving while wearing slippers, or sandals, or you know, mm-hmm. like the um, what do you call this? Crocs? Yeah. Oh, is that a problem? Is there it, a,
2: is there a law against that in? I didn't in the like States? my
3: husband driving with crocs you know because in canada
2: there's no law on that that i'm sure right no No, there's not
1: i'm
3: surprised it doesn't say like no high heels that's dangerous
1: yeah that's dangerous okay
3: i have a sad personal um story about this no no not personal (laughs) it happened to my friend uh, whose wife was in a car accident and she died and um the thing was that uh when the prosecutors came by and trying to take notes about what actually happened because she was ran over by a woman who was actually working as a funeral, one of those funeral, um, you know, service people. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: this is really important.
3: Yes, yeah. and um, in the midst of while he was, she was being questioned. The prosecutor looked down and saw that she was wearing heels. She said she told her assistant to make a note of that, take a picture, and I think that was the culprit so the because heels. yeah, the heels. She couldn't stop properly. Right. She. 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 It, it's her foot yes got stuck. She thought she had her foot on the um on the um Break, but on it the was brake, but on the accelerator instead but, or yes. something.
1: Yes. Or didn't well okay. Well on that note, no footwear is an issue. Um, yeah.
3: Okay. Um then the other thing is um it says uh oh yeah people have you know people tend to not realize that they're using these um, high beams. Oh I hate in that. in places or doing a the- you know, bright daylight or whatever. I'm
2: seeing more and more uh, of that it, in Taiwan. It annoys
3: me when I see that. Regular yeah.
1: headlights, I think, are supposed to, like, uh, some people recommend they're always on. I think in Canada, that is the law, actually. Yeah,
2: it's always, always, on, always on, even during daytime. Right. Yeah. But yeah. high
1: beams is a different matter. Yeah. You don't want
2: to blind people. It's illegal to turn on high beam in Canada unless you have a clear road 30 meters ahead of you. So, I know. Um, you
3: know, sometimes here in Taiwan, I mean, you just don't realize why someone... Driving in the opposite direction, have the high beam on, and they don't realize it. Yeah, it's really annoying. So there's that. Yeah, then um, having music turned on too loud. Because they say that you won't be able to hear the ambulance or the fire engine, you know, or, you know, I I don't know, maybe the policeman calling out to you or something like that. Mad news for everyone with big
2: subwoofers. I (laughs) I could imagine the Japanese being a stickler for that because they're pretty high on personal noise complaints. That's what I
3: thought. That's what what I thought. And I think the thing is, um, even if you have... well, i don't know maybe sometimes they put on the headset, but i I would say not wearing both sides both both earphones just leave one on or something on i don't know but anyway. well anyway, and then um, the fourth was uh oh well, just being just like having a, your 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 face down what looking at mobile phone. yeah that's illegal that's that's uh, like a biggie i mean. We tried to have a rule on that, but I, think, I don't think it really worked, especially... Um, I think they tried to catch people doing that, right, but right. It, has, it hasn't been really hmm. being enhanced. Some um, of the other ones. The other one is rubbing with one hand. Driving um, with just using one hand, you know, it's funny. Um, yeah, my my dad is in the car business because he's he sells lubricants, mm-hmm. and he's a very careful driver. So whenever my my parents, you know, including my dad, is in the car that my husband's driving, my husband will always try to remind himself to put both hands no. on the yeah, driving. Yeah, You've got a
1: backseat way. driver there. Be careful. When he no. when he leaves <laughs> yeah.
3: when my husband when my dad leaves the car, then he will goes back to one hand. <laughs> but I said that you know it's always good rule
1: to have both hands on the driving yeah. wheel.
3: Yeah. And then,
2: um, oh, I didn't know that was a that was a hard rule. So
1: we've got yeah. these rules, and and what do they? What are, um, What are, are they getting people to talk about uh, how we drive here in Taiwan? This is all from Japan,
2: after all.
3: Well, I mean, we have the same kind of problem, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think probably worse off and there was one talking about you know just driving when you when you uh, when you've got a bad temper <laughs> like you know because oh, getting yeah. mad at mm-hmm. how bad a traffic is and it says that simply it just simply says take two deep breaths <laughs> this is <laughs> before it gets to here? Huh?
1: this is an internet commenter here in um,
3: no actually it's Japan that's hmm. um, that's hmm. suggesting this so what are people and here saying and I think we do really get into that kind of I, I encounter that all the time and that's just what happened this morning morning was that um i was in this bus mm-hmm. and it got a little too close to a cab oh. and so then at the next red light the cab swerved right in front of the bus and stopped smack in you know as the light turned red and i knew that he's trying to make a statement right from that move it's so dangerous so dangerous the
1: cab drivers here in taiwan are reckless yes um Yes <laughs> I don't think there's any way To sugarcoat that that's <laughs> I why know I, really I, That's why I think uh, A lot of people Like these uh, Ride-sharing services um, That's one of the appeals Right yeah, they're, you're, They, they are rated calmer. And you can leave notes About their driving If need be I know So
3: anyway Do Japanese think That they have bad drivers But actually Taiwanese drivers Are not any better off No so that's uh, some, someone, so there was this discussion uh, on the internet
1: about this. I think our scooter drivers are the most reckless, though. <sighs> uh, they oh, they cut far. in front
3: of everything. We are a scooter
2: them. country, so I think that's why. I got hit by one, so I know.
3: Really? Oh yeah, when yeah, you're on your bike.
2: Yeah, uh, you're right. Late uh, the year before, 2017. There's been
1: about, I think in the past year, about three scooter accidents near our studios in the road out front. Oh no! Um, so people. I think maybe need to... Maybe we should start a 10 scooter no-no's, because there's a lot of those. Are you sure 10 is enough? Yeah, like I said, right. 7 also seems like not enough, but, right. uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to driving, so... Drive carefully, everyone. <laughs> Taiwan's got 16 officially recognized indigenous peoples at the moment. How many of them do you guys know, like off the top of your heads?
3: You mean I have to say the Pop names? Please? Sorry, I, I can't. If you want to name me after sixteen, name, I can't. Name like one.
1: <laughs> um, um. Yeah, tile. Size shot. Oh, sorry. Okay, you have got both. That's both right. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Puyuma. You know that because we have our, our <laughs> favorite tray. jingle. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So some of these ones like Puyuma or, uh, Atayal, these are that you mentioned, Jake, these are like the big ones. Yes. 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 And tribe. The Amish big is the biggest, the biggest of all. Yeah. I think there's like a hundred thousand or so people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think that these bigger groups would have, you know, be the first to get their language on Wikipedia, um. Yeah. But that's that's not the case, uh, actually. Uh, the Sakizaya language is uh, apparently the first indigenous language from Taiwan on Wikipedia. And they were a small group. They have, I have the number in front of me, 974 people among them. <laughs>
2: oh, that's a dwindling. Uh, it's a very yeah.
1: small group.
2: Yeah. Um, is
3: it a very unusual language that they made it official? Not particularly Did unusual. Because but, they're all- um, are. I they think what's are. unusual
2: is they got it there first, right? I mean, yeah, I think the, but they're a small group. Yeah, the Bunan or the Amis would go there first. Because they
1: fought harder no, for it. No, no, <laughs> no. Um, actually, this is just the hard work of, of people. Um, oh. you, know, uh, in, you know, they were recognized in 2007, and their Wikipedia was added in November 22nd. It's definitely an endangered language, as mm. most of Taiwan's indigenous languages are, but this one, I think, given the size of the group, is quite small. Um, they've been trying this to put this on here since 2015, according to uh, Tuku Sayon, who is a Sakizaya himself and is a principal investigator for this uh, language preservation project. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of trouble doing it. It's they've been like three years. Mm-hmm. Mainly due to, a lot, of, a lot of it was due to problems like, how do you say program code in Sakizaya? It's a language that doesn't have terms for these things, and yeah. you, I guess, to make a Wikipedia, need to have some sort of agreed-on term, right? Right. Or visualization. These computer words were a bit of big challenge, and uh, you know, uh, but there are, and and this is really special because a lot of smaller languages, they, if you look on them, they have like one page or like three pages, and then whoever's behind the project just kind of like ran out of time or gave up. There's a lot of very small Wikipedias out there. We've got... um, The Sakizaya language has about 3,600 entries at the moment. And there's an edit count of more than 60,000. So there's an active community of people... A small, but I would say pretty active community of people, like, pushing this. That's for sure. They've got a word count total reaching around 2 million at the moment, of, like, all their articles added together. Um, And some of the big groups, Amis, Atayel, they have... Their communities have expressed interest in getting their languages on Wikipedia, the big ones, but again computer terms have been the stumbling block so i'm not sure why the Sakizaya were able to solve that or maybe they met in a you know a small number of experts met and decided on a term but yeah um, they get consensus yeah tai the, the amis these are very widely spread groups and in the case of the amis especially i think there's like five different very like regional dialects so when you test your proficiency in taiwan like as a speaker of one of these languages which people do i think have to pass if they want to like as an indigenous person get special uh like how uh, they, have, they have sort of a program to get people into higher education, hmm. if with indigenous status, but like you have to prove you can speak the language. So people do take these tests, and they do so like in one of they can choose their home version of their language. So there's not really one unified Amis language that everyone agrees on. Like if you're in the north, you speak differently. The words are different than in the south. Pronunciations are different, and uh, you know our education system, which teaches these languages, they they they're aware of that, and so. Like, they teach them... So, basically, getting all these different groups to agree on a single word for visualization, I mean, you'd have to get a lot of people together, and that takes time, and... Anyway, uh, so, yeah, the big ones didn't get there first. It was Sakizaya, and um, and they're they're a very interesting group. I've been to one of their... I was invited to one of their biggest uh, ceremonies of the year. For a long time, uh, they were a hidden group. They hid themselves, uh, around, the eight, I think it was the 1870s, uh, the Qing Dynasty government attacked them, and so they fled. They hid among the, um, the Amis group, the big oh, one, right. and sort of kept themselves under wraps for a very long time. They've only started reemerging and rediscovering their identity, and they were recognized in only 2007 as the 13th of the now 16 groups. So pretty, only about 10 years of official recognition. Huh. Anyway, to commemorate their uh, big... The big uh, attack and uh, the people who died. Uh, They have a big fire festival every year, which is spectacular. That's the one you went to? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's smoke everywhere. And they have a gigantic like thatched hut. And at the end, they burn it all down. It's really cool. Life-size, you mean? (laughs) Oh, yeah. You you can go in. And they they leave offerings inside it. And then at the end of the ceremony, they just torch the whole thing. (laughs) Like explode, yeah. very cool, uh, and I'm really happy to see that uh, not only are they preserving their culture, but they're putting it online too. Uh, it's pretty, you know, tough thing. Uh, they we have a lot of very highly in, endangered languages here, so hopefully, once they figure out how to say, I don't know, <laughs> program code, yeah, is visualization, you're, you're one, <laughs> uh, we, we'll, we can get we'll start seeing more of them on there. Before we go today uh, The presidential office Recently hosted A group of Canadian YouTubers And they have Some things to say About it Yeah they're the Ninth group by the way and, um, the Ninth it's group uh, of Canadian of Cana- YouTubers
3: No 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 Of YouTubers That were invited From abroad oh, To okay. stay at the Presidential office building And so these two Lucas and Sabrina From Canada They actually had Stayed in Taiwan Two years before And they are Founders of the Chopstick Travel A YouTube channel So you can imagine They go around Introducing like food Eating with chopstick Steaks, you know, from mm-hmm. around the world And um, they're they very popular And um, so at the presidential office building They met with the vice president And who is from Kaohsiung, Qisan So they said that, oh, next time They should, you know, that he should go with them And uh, try the different food in Kaohsiung From Qisan, that is Now, um, Sabrina and Lucas, they find that Taiwan Is very close to home And uh, that people are very friendly You know, it's just a great place to stay They almost feel like at home You know, trying the different foods and everything it has a on people, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, and so um, they think that it's it's uh, it's 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 great, you know, and that uh, you know, back in 2016, they also were in Jai uh, teaching English, and that's how they thought about, hey, let's record about the food
1: here in Taiwan. And they've gone all the way to the presidential office. Yes, wow, as guests. Yep, great, that's a big right. Upgrade there. <laughs> well, that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Ventrias. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Jake Chen. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights Camera Asia and In the Spotlight. Lights, Camera, Asia A look at Asian culture and history through the lens
4: of cinema
2: Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia I'm Jake Chen Today, we are going to conclude the story of Infernal Affairs and dive into the analysis portion of our coverage in an effort to get a better understanding of the elements that make this gangster movie so well regarded close to two decades after it was first released in 2001. Last week, we got to a point in the movie where the Triad gang clashes with members of the police force in a shootout multiple gang members end up being killed, and several police officers are wounded. Arguably the most significant loss, however, takes place moments before the exchange, when Chief Inspector Huang gets cornered by gang members and end up being thrown down from the roof. He was in that position partly because he was meeting with his CI, or confidential informant, undercover police officer Chen, who has been embedded in the gang for years. The pair found that the gang members somehow honed in on their position, so while Huang tried to mix in with the crowds and exit from the front exit, Officer Chen hop on a lift for window cleaners. Unfortunately, Huang's disguise didn't quite work out and he gets busted, and Chen, moments after his escape, witnesses Huang being thrown down from the roof. The very public deaths of Chief Inspector Huang sends shockwaves within the police force, Many officers are emotionally struck by the deaths of their much-respected supervisor, and the investigation also revealed that Inspector Lau, who actually works as an undercover for the Triad gang, has sent police to follow Huang once he's away from the position. The discovery angers many in the police force. However, Chen was shrewd enough that he was able to argue his way through it. He tells his peers that the reasons he did what he did is because he was suspicious of Mr. Huang being in the mole within the police, and that while he was tracing Huang's whereabouts, that tracing partially led to his murder. He also manages to uncover Huang's communication method with the CI in the gang. Days later, Chen tells his fellow police officers that he had received a new tip from the CI that a gang is said to move the bulk of his drug stash to a new location. He convinces the officers with this piece of information that this would be the best opportunity to get Han Sun, the triad boss, and all his guys in one spot. Secretly, however, he has plans for himself. He has served as Hans Mole in the police force for many many years, and he feels that he's being exposed to increasing risk since Hansen is constantly asking him for more inside information in order to put himself and his gang ahead of the competition. Every time he passes information to his gang boss, he risks of getting himself exposed in the police. Therefore, orchestrating this police raid to the gang has one ultimate benefit to himself. He will be able to get rid of his gang boss one and for all, and no one would ever know about his real identity. Chief Inspector Huang is dead, his past future promotion is cleared, and if Han is dead as well, there won't be any trace that connects him with the gang. He will be totally clean, so to speak. On the day of the drug move, things almost turn out exactly as Chen had planned. He gets a tip from Huang's undercover CI in the gang, and just when the gang members arrive at their drug storage location, the police swoon in on them and capture many gang members as well as a large quantity of drugs. Han manages to break free from the fray, and while he's running for his life, he makes one final phone call to Lao in hopes that his little boy inside the police could give him a helping hand. A telephone suddenly rings in Han's surrounding he stops to look around and finds Lao holding his mobile phone. He looks at Lao in disbelief, but moments later he realizes that this is Lao setup from the get-go. Although everything is too late. Lao opens fire and he kills Hansen. Lao earns a lot of goodwill and trust after he orchestrated the bust since it, it is considered a major breakthrough for the criminal investigation unit to bust a gang of this magnitude. When Lau returns to the police headquarters, he receives a group applause from his colleagues for leading the charge. One officer points to his office and tells him that the police undercover has finally come in and he's been waiting to meet him. When Lau walks into his office and meets Chen, the police CI in the gang, he realizes that this is not the first time that the two meet face to face. Very early on in the film, Lao visits a local store that sells hi-fi stereo equipment, and he meets Chen who was looking after the store for the owner. The two exchange a few words, and Chen shows him a set of stereo systems that he thought might be of interest. Neither of the two anticipated that after a cat-mouse and game that lasted so long that almost claimed the life of both people, Lao would finally meet with his hidden enemy for so long and they both look like just regular Joes. Except there is a power imbalance here. While Lao is totally aware of the situation, Chen doesn't yet know that Lao was the mole for the gang. He thinks Lao is just an upstanding police officer who's here to help clear his name. The two briefly greet one another, and Lao congrats Chen for finally being able to break free from the gang. Chen says that all he wants now is to have his identity back and to have a normal life. When Lao is off to the computers to load Chen's old file, Chen spots something that sends chills all the way down his spine. He spots the corner of an envelope that looks awfully similar to the very envelope in which the gang members put their files when Han asks them to submit their personal information. He pulls the envelope out and his worst fear is confirmed. It is that very same envelope, which proves to him instantly, one thing beyond any shadow of a doubt, Lao has been Hansen's mole in the police force all along. By the time Lao comes back to the office, he realizes that Chen is long gone and he spots the envelope which has been moved. He realizes that his identity is blown and he swiftly returns to the computer and deleted Chen's file. Now, no one in the world know who Chen is anymore, and he has been smeared as a criminal. When Lao believes that he's buried the last bit of evidence that could incriminate him, he has on home and finds his fiancée looking at him weird. He follows her eyesight to the stereo sight and turns it on. Seconds after a music plays, the tape plays a conversation between him and Han when they were exchanging words in a movie theater. As it turns out, Hansen had recorded many conversations that he had with Lao and saved all of them as an insurance policy. Remember a scene earlier in the movie when Chen spotted Hansen stuffing several cassette tapes in a drawer? That was a key moment when he realizes that Han might have hit something important. And after Han was killed, he found these tapes and uncovered the content. This means the end for Lao because whoever hears this Will know that his real identity is a criminal. His wife walks out without saying a thing, and Lao is totally devastated. At this moment, he gets a phone call from Chen and tells him to meet him at the rooftop of a building. It's showdown time. Lao and Chen, two formal undercover agents working for opposite parties, now both with compromised identities, meet in broad daylight. Chen holds Lao at gunpoint and tells him to restore his identity. Lao responds by saying that he would only do so if Chen wouldn't publish the truth that he's actually a gang undercover in the police. Chen refuses to comply, saying that he would never let something like this slip as a police officer. The two come to a standstill and suddenly a third police officer points a gun at them. The officer warns Chen not to hurt Inspector Lao, and Chen instead holds Lao as a shield while slowly moving to the elevator. The door opens, and the officer suddenly pulls a trigger, and Chen is dead. Lao is stunned, but what happens next is even more shocking to him. The officer steps forward and ruthlessly fires two more bullets to make sure Chen is dead, and then uncuffs Lao and tells him, that he has also been serving as Hansen's undercover in the police, and that the two should coordinate and put on a convincing performance for the incoming police officers, which means the two should cover each other's identity. Lao understands what he means. The elevator door closes, and we hear two more gunshots echoing in the metal chamber. When the doors reopen, a swarm of police officers are waiting at the lobby. Lao steps out with a badge in his hand and tells the officers that he is a cop, dead and that he's innocent in all this. Behind him, we see two dead bodies: one of Mister Chen and the other of the police officer, or shall I say, the other mole in the police. The movie ends with Lao looking at the tombstone of Chen at a burial ceremony, and he gradually closes his eyes. The screen darkens. And a title appears on a black screen it reads there is a special level in hell and those subjected to that position will receive the punishment of eternal suffering the saying points to the title of the movie which is infernal affairs The movie ends here and I'm very glad that we finally have a chance to cover the rather convoluted plots of Infernal Affairs. It's only one of the three movies in the trilogy and already it took us three episodes to barely cover the main storyline. There are many many side storylines that I didn't get to touch on. So in the following episodes, I'll dive in the various muddy points in the story and explain them in more details, but I think more importantly, instead of saying the what, which we already know, I'd like to dive in the how. I will closely examine how the story is told and unfolded in front of our eyes in such a way that builds suspense and adds depth and dimension to the various very interesting personas in the movie. So stay tuned next week, and I'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chan.
1: Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. That's on Feast Meets West, every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International. Radio for Refined Palates.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight.
3: Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Candice Chan is the founder and CEO of Fluff, a sharing economy pet care slash foster care platform. Last week, she talked about how she started a business called Pink Matter Juice Bar when she was in the United States. It was a juice bar using imported dragon fruit. Now, this fruit has a very bright pink colored skin on the outside, but there are two kinds of flesh on the inside. One is white and the other is this deep purplish or pink color, which can really stain your clothes if you're not careful. Anyway, this juice sold really well in the States, okay? It's a super fruit. Anyway, um, but then uh, Candace decided to come back to Taiwan. She knew that she would be an entrepreneur for life. So this time she was thinking, of, what am I going to do? She decided to do something with pets. So this week she got talking about Fluff. F-L-U-V, Fluff, this sharing economy to do with pets.
4: So back in the States, I was a pet sitter on the side using this sharing economy platform. It wasn't all about making money because I had a dog who was a little antisocial. She's still with me. (laughs) I mean, she is a little antisocial, so I would pet sit on this app, Code Rover, back in the States. And Sky would really like it. Well, in the beginning, she wouldn't because she's antisocial. She started getting used to other dogs. And I was making extra sure money, which was great. Uh-huh. I would just sit other people's dogs. Yeah, I had to walk Sky in the morning anyways. So I just walked two dogs. And then I came back to Taiwan. I realized I still wanted to do the same thing, but I couldn't find any way to do it. Just not a common thing here yeah yeah, they still send it to pet hotels right people with pets they travel this in pet hotels they go to their friends and family if I solve the problem in the states maybe I can satisfy this different need in Taiwan I just started going to a lot of networking events meeting people who have developed apps before meeting people who have started a company in Taiwan I met so many people in the first few months just talking to people asking people for feedback well, at first, people were like, oh my gosh, this is impossible. Taiwanese people won't accept this. This is just like Airbnb. People were not okay with sharing your room with a stranger. <laughs> well, you want to explain what exactly Fluff does? So Fluff, Sharing Economy Pet Care Platform, we match pet parents with other pet parents. So all the pet lovers, they're in this platform. They're on the app and they can find other pet parents to take care of their pet for them, either when they're away when they're busy, they can't walk the dog when they need a bath, but they're too busy. So they can just call someone next to them who also loves animals and has a, probably has a dog or cat, him or herself, to come over to take care of the pet for them and vice versa. So this platform just matches all these pet lovers. Yeah, so people you- don't have to go to pet hotel or ask around for help from yeah. friends and family. They can very conveniently find someone they can trust. On oh, the platform
3: okay now what if um two people that got matched
4: together they both work during the day i mean how does that work our system actually has a s- scheduling system oh. we have a scheduling system we match people that Well, this person needs someone on monday this other person is available on monday they will be matched
3: and then you said something of oh, foster care that's the idea
4: foster care uh, oh that's something else it goes together with our platform because our platform is full of animal lovers including other animals other than dogs and cats <laughs> we do have bunnies and hamsters right now yeah so maybe yeah. we'll expand to elephants later elephants. Yeah, right. okay. <laughs> yeah yeah um, we do have a foster system as well Um, Which is? When I was back in the States, foster system is really well developed. But when I came back to Taiwan, I started volunteering. I always volunteer at shelters. I realized there are way too many dogs at the shelter and way too many stray dogs and cats. There are none in the States. I know there are various reasons, but I know there's an opportunity in developing a better fostering system. When I was volunteering, I realized there were a lot of animal lovers. They really wouldn't mind just fostering another cat or another dog. There was just not a simple way to do it. Which means it's like just to take care of it for a period of time, Mm -hmm. right? It's different from adopting a a pet. Right. It's different from adopting because fostering kind of helps the dogs to be adopted. It helps the dog become more socializable. They're closer to human. They are less likely to get sick. Because the shelter is, is if you put a lot of dogs in one place, a lot of humans too, you get sick easily. And they're all in really bad condition. So if you foster them, it's a lot more likely that they'll get adopted instead of dying. And there's really high chance of dying if the dog goes to a shelter. But I really wanted to tackle this problem too. When I started this app, I thought I didn't want to just make an App for people to me and take care of each other's adorable dogs. I also want to help animals who are in need of getting a temporary home. They can choose to foster or not, right? Yeah, they can choose to foster okay. or not. They can just foster when they have time. Mm-hmm. But on the on our platform, we'll show they they get love points. It would encourage them to to foster animals. What do you do with love points? Kind of symbol that you're a loving person. (laughs) Uh Uh And it shows up, right? (laughs) Yeah. That um you're that kind of loving person. Okay. Mm -hmm. By next year, Taiwan will have more fur babies than actual human children. Oh I know. They have a study about that. Yeah.
3: Fewer and fewer people are having babies, like human babies. Human babies. But then they would choose to, you know, own a pet. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So that's why there's whole this pet culture, whether it's pet cemeteries that are promoting right now, or or pet this and pet that. You know, yeah, it's it's amazing. So mostly your platform is just uh, pet care and foster care. You don't sell pet products.
4: Not yet. yet.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You're actually going to think about that,
4: right? We we might think about it. Yeah. We want to build our user base first. Mm. We just want every animal lover to be on our platform. Right. This is a very, uh, very new platform.
3: Apparently, you've just um, launched it only a couple of days so far. How can people get to know
4: more about the platform? How how do they go about finding you, finding Fluff? They can go on App Store or they can go on Google and Google Fluff. F-L-U-V Our slogan is I fluff you it's Yeah like, It's like very fluffy And Right I love I you so you. much I right. fluff you So It's spelled as I-F-L-U-V-Y-O-U Dot com That's our website You're listening
1: to In the Spotlight With Shirley Lynn.
3: So you've got a dog yourself It's called Sky Mm -hmm. and it's
4: female um um, what kind of dog again i forgot it's a cross between yeah she is a mutt she's a mix of australian shepherd and shih tzu so it's very interesting she she looks what color is she she is crane she has this crane color crane color yeah and she's like a big dog in a small body she's Looks very interesting. Oh, short hair or long hair? Long hair. I don't know anything about... Okay. Yeah, long hair. Very really cute. Know. She's okay. very cute with the underbite. How long have you had um, Sky? I've had her for three, four years. Oh, okay. And I brought her back with me from the States. I just couldn't leave yeah. her. There. Yeah. I just love her too much. So you adopted Sky from a shelter or something? I try adopting a dog from a lot of shelters but they make the system really complicated in the states it was very hard for me to adopt a dog so i went online and people were because you're Taiwanese or because of what oh because i was too young i was too young, <laughs> you're too young. i was uh, what 23 at the time i was too young <laughs> i lived in an apartment i didn't have a backyard <laughs> so oh, they were okay, very that... very strict about that kind right. of stuff okay so yeah. i went online and people were going to give their dogs to shelters oh yeah this this guy on craigslist he was like oh uh i'm giving one of these puppies i'm gonna give him to the shelter if i don't give him away so i hit this guy up and he gave me sky oh yeah so right. kind of half adopted Uh huh. because yeah. if i didn't get her she would end up at the shelter
3: yeah i know why is it that there aren't that many stray dogs or animals in the
4: states what do they do Education, actually. One key thing is education. People are educated to not abandon animals. And every dog and cat is microchipped. Okay. So they don't abandon dogs and cats. Oh, and, even stray stray ones, they microchip them too? Uh, stray ones, they will take them in right away. They are no okay. stray. Oh. I don't see any stray animals on on the street. They take them in. They take them in always, But yeah. that meant shelters. they are shelters. But they get fostered. They have a really good fostering oh. system too. So in, if the shelters get too full, they get fostered for a s- small period of time until they get adopted.
3: I see. And then um, I'm sure that after you came back to Taiwan, you realize there's a lot of stray cats. I mean, stray cats and dogs, yeah. Right? Right. So different. It's, I know. Pretty sad. What do you think Taiwan can do better? There's, Are you uh, you're thinking about that as something on a side to do is... Educate Taiwanese people How better to take care of their pets And not abandon them And Did they ever cross
4: your mind? I guess it must have How yeah. to get rid of this Serious You know Stray animal problem Right We actually have a friend Who is doing this So we're actually This We're Pet startup friends Yeah <laughs> Pet startup friends in town We both We all love animals And she's handling The education part And I'm kind of Handling A different part Because they they're They're many issues that cause this problem. Yeah. Education, it's its the, people not being educated is the root cause. Right. I agree. But now we need some solutions fast. Right. So she's tackling that problem, educating people so the next generation, they won't abandon okay. animals that easily. And I'm tackling the problem of now, there are just too many on the streets. There are too many in the shelter. Mm. We need to make sure there are in good conditions in order to get adopted. So with this kind of collaboration, we collaborate with that startup as well to help the entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So hopefully our fostering system can solve some problems. That's what we are hoping for.
3: You know, there are some places like, you know, there are some pet shops that sell, you know, these cats and dogs. I mean, you have to pay to, you know, get... I think it's first to get rid of those kind of shops because there are too many, you know, dogs and cats in shelters that we should be starting from those places instead of going to these shops
4: and then actually using money to buy these animals, right? Yeah, it's it's quite painful for me to see this kind of situation happening because we're in California. They banned selling animals entirely because there are so many, so many dogs and. Cats in the shelter. Shelters. So it's something that's. I don't know how we can solve. I don't know if the government would just suddenly ban selling cats and mm-hmm. dogs, but I do think this is also a problem. Yeah, people go to buy puppies from puppy meals instead of going to a shelter to adopt a puppy. I know. It's, yeah, it's also. Edu- I think part of education mm. too. If there are buyers, there will be sellers Oh
3: Yeah That is sad Well, hey, it's really been educational talking to you You know, I don't know much about pets myself And even like pet care and all that kind of stuff But yeah, we do have a serious problem here Even, even though today our interviews You know, when it comes to Taiwan We were talking more on the negative side of what Taiwan's doing In terms of like pets and everything But one obvious fact is that we do have a lot of animal lovers in Taiwan we absolutely do. And so they're all working together to solve these serious problem of strays and everything in Taiwan. So I hope it gets better. So I think definitely people need to be more educated um, correctly mm-hmm. about pet care and not abandoning their pets when they don't find it cute anymore, you know? Mm-hmm, correct. Yeah, so anyway. Well, it's really been so much fun talking to you, Candice, especially from the fact that you started a business in Juice and now you're, you know, doing this um, app in, um, you know, pet care. <laughs> Very interesting. I, I can't imagine what other ideas you have in the future um, as an entrepreneur because we know that you're going to be an entrepreneur for life. For life.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's
3: right. so much fun. It's really great. Getting to know you, Candace. And good luck with what you're doing, especially with Fluff. Now it's just uh, on the startup. Much luck to you. Yeah. Good luck. And you're doing the right thing. So hopefully you get a lot of help because what you're doing is the right thing to do.
4: Thank you, Candace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>
0: Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan.